Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hey everybody, it's Monica, giving you a little intro to the fascinating interview I just had with Robert Frederick. He's the Francis Bacon researcher who did the Hidden Life is Best podcast. We've had him on before, people love him. We were here to talk about the play Macbeth, and I am a stickler about spoilers. So I just wanted to let you know we hold nothing back. So if you think you want to check out Macbeth from beginning to end without having any idea what it's about, you might want to go listen to it now. It's a pretty short play. You can find it on podcast free, no problem. Or you could read it probably in an hour. I don't know if it's an hour, but it might be. It's pretty short. So just wanted to let you know this is a spoiler alert for the entire episode. Enjoy. Welcome to the Propaganda Report. This is Monica Perez welcoming back, I would say, one of, if not the uh, host of a podcast who, when he came on our show last time, was uh, may have been the most well-received. I got so many emails. I want more of this guy. So I have personally consumed every one of the episodes he's put out twice. I've consumed them twice and I could consume them each another time. So I wait for the new episodes to drop. Of course, you probably know who I'm talking about. It is the great Robert Frederick of the Hidden Life is Best podcast about the smartest man who ever lived, trademark, Francis Bacon. (laughs) So... Robert, thank you so much for coming back. I really, it's a thrill to talk to you. I'm so excited. Oh, it's great to be here, Monica. Thank you so much for that kind introduction. Yeah, well, you know, somebody who loves deep state, I mean, yeah. I've been asked what's at the bottom of the rabbit hole, and yeah. I used to think it was at the top of a mountain in Switzerland, Yeah. but now I think it might have been in the house next door of Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> Tudor so, London. Yes. Yeah, so... So why don't you, I mean, you're welcome to give a line about your podcast and why you do it or Bacon himself and why he is so important and how it turns to our subject of the day, which is your uh, recent two-part analysis of Macbeth, which has always been my favorite Shakespeare play. I think it's because it's Mm -hmm. short, but it was always so easy to understand. I was like, I get it. I get what's happening here. It was uh, poignant. And so I really am eager to get into that. So start wherever you want and I'll keep you on track so we can get to that Macbeth. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, I kind of stumbled on Francis Bacon, just trying to understand the world in general and history kind of zeroing in on the English empire. Then I had this insane synchronicity that literally pointed to Francis Bacon. And I thought I have to look into Francis Bacon. I have to do it. It changed my life. The synchronicity changed my life. And I became a Bacon researcher. And there's a long history of Bacon researchers 
you could take it back to 150 years ago to Delia Bacon from Boston, New York. She was friends with Emerson and Hawthorne and Whitman respected her. And she kind of broke the dam open. She's an amazing person. She was an actress. She How is her name Bacon? Yeah. And she's not related. And she, That's a synchro right there. It's a synchro there. And <laughs> she became obsessed, completely obsessed, wrote a great book and kind of started this train rolling that turned into the Francis Bacon Society in, in, uh, in England, which is 150 years old, started by another woman who got obsessed with this topic. But rumors that Francis Bacon was Shakespeare go all the way back to the very first poem Shakespeare ever wrote uh, called Venus and Adonis. So that's, there's just so much to cover in, in this, but there's a, there's the history of Shakespeare himself. There's the history of well, the, okay. the Baconian theory of Shakespeare too. I have, um, you know, obviously I've listened to all your stuff, so I can tell you what I want to hit on okay. and then we can drive people to listen to. I mean, it's totally okay. consumable. Your entire catalog of the podcast to date is totally consumable. So, and it's the hidden life is best podcast or hidden life is best.com. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. So just, um, briefly, who was Bacon? What was his official role and who do we really think he was? And then like his, uh, his paternity or whatever. And then, okay. um, what was significant about him in the kind of history of thought history of our okay. world. So he was born in 1561 right next door to the palace of Queen Elizabeth, then called Whitehall Palace, on the Strand, on the Thames River, in a mansion. Uh, his father is one of the richest people in England, who was also one of the most powerful people in England. His mother was very highly educated, uh, whose father, his grandfather, was one of the great educators in England who had tutored King Edward, who had died just before Bloody Mary became queen. So he was born in the perfect situation to get the perfect education and the English aristocrats got very highly educated. They all knew Latin and Greek um, at an early age. And he took to the books, you might say. He was recognized very early on as someone who loved to study and loved to learn. And he went to college at the age of 12 and dropped out without a degree at the age of 15, announcing he was bored. <laughs> he was done with that. He was done with it. <laughs> he was done with Plato and Aristotle. Although he recognized them as great geniuses, he thought they hadn't gone far enough, that they were not useful. And wow. this is a 15-year-old boy saying this. And wow. this, this was like, prefiguring his entire life because his whole life what he's known for anyway officially known for is for creating modern science and he was a philosopher of science he wasn't really much of a scientist himself there are some indications he did some experience experiments he's not credited with any discoveries but he was became this cheerleader for science in the second half of his life and that's and, not what you see is what you get, right? And there was something more. Something <laughs> happened in the first part of his life that nobody really noticed until around 1910 when people really did his biography and a man named Smedley Butler wrote a book called... Oh, yeah. War is a Racket. 
Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that was a I speech. His name. His name was, yeah, I've got the wrong Smedley. Uh, <laughs> oh, I forget his name. It's Rupert Smedley. Okay. Um, he wrote a book called The Mystery of Francis Bacon, where he said, what did this man, who is recognized as a great genius, he's recognized as one of the greatest philosophers of all time, what did he do with the beginning part of his life? Not much is known, except at the age of 15, he was sent to France as an attache to the diplomat to France, and basically they were spying. Everything about Elizabethan London centered around espionage. They were constantly spying on each other. Really? Constantly spying on others because of the war between the Catholics and the Protestants. Mm -hmm. And there were constant attempts on Queen Elizabeth's life from Catholics. Okay. Who wanted to put, you know, a Catholic back on the throne. So those attempts on her life are one of the through line stories of Tudor London. And what it did was create the greatest intelligence network ever known, and that's British intelligence, right. which ties in with theater and acting because to be a great spy, you need to be a great actor. You're on stage 24 seven. And if you don't succeed, <laughs> you die. So Bacon, what's one of things that's not that recognized is that he was very early on entered into the world of espionage by going to France at the behest of Francis Walsingham. Walsingham is considered the great master spy that created British intelligence along with so, a couple other guys. I have a question. Sure. So when you say that he was sent there in this capacity, yeah. are you positive or are you guessing that or did people speculate at the time? Why do you think that's true? Because pretty much everyone that left England was asked to do some espionage Got work. It. Yes, they're going, find this out. Yes, I understand how that works. And his brother was a lifelong spy. Francis Walsingham right. was a spy. Amius Paulet, the diplomat he went with, was a spy. Yeah, okay. And he... Court intrigues. Yes. The court intrigues, they all spied on each other. They all had yeah. their own little intelligence networks. Interesting. Yeah, it was. it's incredible. That whole part of Tudor London and espionage has generated many books. And that was really Got the it. beginning of okay. modern espionage. And Bacon yeah, was right, my ignorance. Yeah. Okay. right there in the center of it. Got it. And people that know the history of espionage all know the name Francis Walsingham. Right. He's super okay. famous in the history of espionage and spying. So Bacon was closely associated with him and his whole life really centered around espionage and all that that implies. Well, that does imply a lot, actually. Yeah, because a ton. We call it CIA like it's the intelligence operation, but yeah. mostly what I've heard they do is actual operations. It's not intelligence operations. They're psychological operations. Or exactly. A, so I think it's a misnomer, intentional, of course, from the beginning. So There's yes. a lot of propaganda. Yes. Counter-propaganda. So that's, of course, what he became the master of. Right. But nobody... I'm putting that together. A lot of people put together. Oh, that. I think you're right. And and when yeah. I was thinking about Macbeth, I have a question for you. About yeah. That, well, Macbeth it all, all comes it. together in Macbeth. Yes. Okay. So can can I scoop you in saying why he might have had a particular affinity for the the crown? Yes, because 
it is believed by many and most Bacon researchers that Francis Bacon was the secret son of Queen Elizabeth I, also known as the Virgin Queen. Right. Would it have been Walter Raleigh? Like who's, <laughs> or his own father? Like whose baby was he? Uh, a man named Robert Dudley, who was imprisoned with Elizabeth in the Tower by Bloody Mary. What are you going to do? He had actually fomented what a rebellion. What else is there to do? Yeah. <laughs> and they knew each other since they were children. Oh. And the minute she became queen, she made Robert Dudley her master of the horse. So he was responsible for taking care of the horses. Oh. And it so happened that the master of the horse had an apartment right next to Queen Elizabeth's Funny. private chambers in right. the castle. Okay. And they were inseparable for years. And the rumors were wild. I mean, it was obvious they were having an affair. Mm, okay. And there are even letters to the Spanish diplomat from different people. There's a, just a lot of, a ton of circumstantial evidence Got that it. he was her son. Right. And it's probably why he was such so psychologically determined to build empire and to spread the Tudor name and to spread the English. Okay. Uh, so if we wanted to get name. psychological about yeah. it, it's, we could say that he felt that he was the, the like biological heir to the throne, which right. he could not manifest publicly, but what right. he could do is take care of his kingdom and perpetuate it that actually being on the books but he could have had that. He could. Have, he was a good king in his mind. He was a good king. He, I think he wanted to be king. I think he thought maybe he could be king. And I think there was a lot of intrigue. There's a very, very famous story that people that know Tudor London having to do with the Essex Rebellion. Essex was one of Bacon's best friends and top aristocrat who just before Elizabeth died, he fomented this really weird rebellion that he thought the people would, would rise up. And it was all about, according to this other Bacon researcher I know, it was all about Essex trying to get the queen to name Bacon as the next king. Because oh. nobody knows what Essex was really doing. I recently read a book about Mary, Queen of Scots by yeah. Stefan Zweig, who uh -huh. I like as a biographer, even though I'm not 100% sure he doesn't embellish. But... Uh, it was really fun and interesting, and it made me wonder. And she, I don't know if you know this, but uh, maybe this is common knowledge, uh -huh. but she supposedly killed her husband, right? Did you ever hear that? Oh, uh, no, I never heard that. But she you know, he away. died, right? He died. No. Okay. He did. Oh. One of them. Maybe she had more than one. Oh, Mary Queen of Scots. Right. James's right, right, right. mother, right? Right, 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 Isn't right, right. That Mary that's right. Yes, that's right. So she had a husband who she liked somebody else. She yeah. liked somebody else. And so she supposedly, and I wondered, I always wondered if the um the Macbeth thing kind of had something to do with that because it's Scotland, it's intrigue, it's you know, nutty Could broad. Be. That's fascinating. <laughs> Could be. Uh, anyway, that's another well, I, crazy sideshow of two. Yes, we have enough. We have enough to cover. I'm yeah. not going to try to derail you, but I I wondered if that was going to spark something for you. So okay, so um, then maybe we should, uh, without I don't want to if there's something super vital to put in there, but I would yeah. like to understand what then, um, may he have served the purpose of him being Shakespeare? Now the science stuff, I think we should save 
the science thing, which is, is the really, those are the two really fascinating things. Like the, yeah. basically the science that replacing um, religion with science, that's really yeah. fascinating. Magic, but we yeah. want to talk, mm -hmm. And yes. And I do want to hit that a little yeah, bit sure. in the premium portion is when I want to start talking about that, the details, okay. Okay. but I do want to talk about um, the Shakespeare element. So Bacon um, was, you think he was Shakespeare or there was a bunch of guys or Christopher Marlowe. I've heard, um, De Gale, is that his name? He was the one Edward De Gale or Edward De, De, Vere. De Vere. De Vere. Yeah. Um, so I've heard different theories. I have yeah. Joseph Sobran's book, alias Shakespeare, but I can't oh. remember who he settled on. Uh, but you settled on bacon or you think it might've been all of them. Most the bacon is the number one contender. Uh, some guy wrote a book where he went through as many books as he could. There's apparently been thousands and thousands about this topic uh, over the last 150 years. And Bacon is the leading contender. And it's kind of shaken out recently to be Bacon or Edward de Vere yeah. or uh, a group of writers. I think it was a group of writers with Bacon clearly in charge. Got I, it. Yeah, I think Edward de Vere was involved. Yeah. yeah, they all had their own acting troops. It would kind of be like having your own recording studio now. And like, he was a busy guy. That's a lot of work, and there were a lot of references. If he had educated people, because the real thing that why I think there's no chance, and I cannot believe that anyone really still thinks that Shakespeare was the guy. Yeah, no, it's crazy. You know, because because oh, oh, mainly because he could not possibly have had accurate descriptions of those highfalutin places. Yeah, that's just one indication. Yeah, no, I know there's more than that, but to me, that's enough. Like, there's I mean, no way that guy would have known unless he had a team of writers. So I could see Bacon have a team of writers if it's people like Devere who were at those places. I'd be like, yeah, you went to Italy. Do Devere the did. <laughs> it's, it's known that Bacon had a team of writers. And anyway? Yeah, he did. Bacon, uh, they know that he had a team of writers. It's mentioned in his letters. For propaganda purposes, why why did he have writers? What were they writing? Good question. Um, right. His part of his job for the Earl of Essex was to write speeches and stuff. Okay. But so so by telling the being the storyteller. Yeah. You know, think about that. Think about propaganda now: entertainment, right. TV, movies, <laughs> books, cartoons, everything, news, the news. There was none of that, right? Nothing that is amplified was a, existed then and no and, and they, they probably were getting more sophisticated than just simply like oral tradition they were more sophisticated than you could do more with with a shakespeare type with the entertainment thing than you could just right you know. i i think what they had mostly to keep the populace in line was um <coughs> excuse me like ceremony spectacle pageantry just the clothes they wore you know regular commoners couldn't wear these special clothes. So when these lords and ladies and the queen especially came out into public, they seemed like they were gods and they were literally called gods. Lord is God right. in the Bible. Right. So that in <coughs> itself is a kind of propaganda. That's a propaganda ploy. That's a, a use of language to control perception. And that's and, what Bacon and was And just the visual of. is that... Okay, and wow. And he bring so much 
And that's probably why there was so much ribaldry and stuff in Shakespeare is that they really, it was super sophisticated <clears throat> and it could appeal at every level. It's almost like yeah. layers so that you could just, it was funny to me as a kid sometimes. I think I watched Petruchio with um, yeah. Raul Julia, you know, on yeah. TV. It was in the, in the park. And I watched this. I remember sitting on the floor in my sister's room where she was watching a little TV in her room and I loved it. And I was a kid. So uh, obviously it appeals and it has the the sexual innuendos. I remember when yeah. I found out what a pound of flesh was for my ninth grade English teacher. I was like, right. come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were masters of language. I mean, they yeah. they read everything. They could read Greek, Latin, and there's just tons of humor. They All the Italian plays were starting. Modern theater was starting. They love to make each other laugh. The British are great humorists. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. There was one place in Shakespeare that I heard a teacher read aloud once, which was about people will be reading this fine sonnet like 400 yeah. years from now. And I'm yeah. just like, oh, really? That's what Billy down the block is uh, <laughs> was thinking at that time? No way. Only a person with a real understanding of history and a knowledge that he could actually control yes. the lexicon would yes. know, you know, because take it from me, you can be great yeah. and not go viral. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, no, Bacon knew that his work was going to last. And he said that he said, look, I can read Homer 2,500 years old. There's not a comma missing, but all the temples and cities and, and people are gone. Like poetry lives. He said this in his Interesting. Wow. and he said it in his writing. Wow. And he talked Clever. about theater as, as propaganda. He said, uh, this is an amazing quote. He wrote, because he had read literally everything ever published in England. And that was all the Greeks, all the Latins, all the plays, all the poetry, all the speeches, all the politics, all the philosophy. When did that all come back? So he was 1541. So the Renaissance was. Yeah. Of years old, it, right? the, the books had started to be published in the 1400s up into the 1500s. Oh, OK. So it wasn't. And, it yeah. Was fair. You know, it was a, it was on the because this was. He presaged or predated the Enlightenment, right? The Enlightenment was yeah. a result of the sign. Okay. The Renaissance was in full swing when he was born. Right. Okay. It hadn't it. quite penetrated all of England. I mean, Got it. Was it. In okay. London. But yeah, he had access to a lot of books. Yeah. It was back. And here's one of his And they quotes. were really popular because they were like, it, they were lost and then they were found. They and were then found. They, so the and, Renaissance was truly a, a resurgence. Right. And- it was encouraged to read and they read a lot in school and then they, a lot of people continued to read heavily and compare notes and write about that and write yes. poems about it. And cool. Yeah. It was, uh, that little circle. There weren't a whole lot of them. There weren't a whole lot of aristocrats, but they did consider education very highly. And you know, Queen Elizabeth could speak perfect Latin and write perfect Latin and Greek. 
and went off and talk in Latin. And so she, she was, was smart. extremely smart. Yeah, you have to be smart. She so. was brilliant. Yeah. Wow. And she came up in the heated realm of Henry VIII. She saw, you know, how to do it. She was trained yeah. to be a ruler. Nice. And was brilliant. Interesting. So Bacon worse? said this about the theater. He said, play acting has been regarded by learned men and great philosophers as a kind of musician's bow by which men's minds may be played upon. <laughs> and he certainly, wrote that? This is from Bacon's pen in his book Sounds called like The Advancement actually. of Science. And certainly Sounds it like is most true. And one of the great secrets of nature that the minds of men are more open to impressions and affections when many are gathered together than when they Whoa! are alone. Yeah. Crowds yeah. and power. He knew. Yes. He knew, knew, Definitely. knew, knew. Wow, wow, yeah. wow. He and made he, a study of the human mind. He made a study of the human heart. I mean, that's what Shakespeare is, right? He yes, wanted to know. In the human, there's a book called Shakespeare, Inventing the Human. Yeah. 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 Wow. Bloom. And I read that I saw a quote that all ideas are Greek in origin. Yeah. But it sounds like he had, he may be the exception to that. He, he was coming up with this stuff fresh. He wrote a book very early on the myths, on the Greek myths, translated into the Roman names. So maybe it is. He knew and he knew they der were derivative. Yeah. He kind of recreated that. He wanted to recreate that, those myths. And he did. Macbeth is a modern myth that, that we live by, the way the Greeks lived oh, by. Oh, yes. I'm so excited. Let's do it. Tell me, what is Macbeth? Oh, you want to get into Macbeth? Yeah, I do. I do. I want to hear. Wow. Sorry, what? Is that nice? No, no, no. That's cool. Have, yeah, so, okay. So, so what, yeah, Mac what is it? What is, Macbeth is a play. What's it about? Okay, Macbeth is a play written after Queen Elizabeth died. It was written for the new king. King James. Yes. The son of Mary, Queen of Scots, right? Correct. Who was, I think she was le the legit, she sh like Queen, Queen Elizabeth was not the legit, right? Like Mary should have been the Queen of England. They were about equal. Elizabeth got in there, but that's okay. where they had to cut off Mary, Queen of Scots' head because she kept vying for the crown. Yes, she, she, she could have taken a deal. She, she should have taken the deal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not exactly sure why Elizabeth got in there first, but Queen of Scots, she was in Scotland and right. Elizabeth was there in London. And yeah. that was a big deal, like the next king and the next queen. There was yeah, jostling. Right. You could say some yes. jostling. Well, because going on. the the religion was the was at at the issue, right? Huge. Wasn't James Catholic? James was Protestant, but Mary oh, Queen of Scots was, was Catholic, Catholic. Which is kind of weird. Oh, you know, well, they so could be the same family. Do it. I know, but yeah. don't you think that, that was he had to do that? Um, I'm not really sure. I'm not, I'm not quite sure why he became Protestant. Right. I haven't really looked into that. Because but... I just feel like the, I'm not trying to get derailed and I don't want yeah, to. Yeah, no, no, no. Here, but the Macbeth thing is in that setting. And I feel like it's so interesting that all that stuff is happening at the same time. But well, Macbeth is about the thing, king of. The thing about Macbeth is there's no religion in the play at all. Yes. Right. None. That's weird to me. It's weird. Um, Okay, so first, let's say, what's it about? So Macbeth is so the Macbeth king is about Scotland, right? uh, a man named Macbeth, who's known to be the greatest warrior in Scotland. It's set in the 11th century. Oh, 
early 12th century. It's based on an actual king of Scotland and a story that was in a famous book called Holland's Head Chronicles that they think Shakespeare Bacon used as source material for the play. And it's about an aristocrat. They're called Thanes in Scotland, the Thane of Cawdor, uh, who did kill the reigning king of Scotland, who was King Duncan. So it's about a, wow. a man named Macbeth who kills the king of Scotland named Duncan. But in the play, Macbeth is given the suggestion by these witches that he meets. It's a very, very famous scene. Boil, boil, toil and trouble. Cauldron burn and cauldron bubble. Fair is foul and foul is fair. Pretty much begins the play. And these witches intercept Macbeth as he's on his way home from defending the kingdom from attack from Norway and a treasonous other thane aristocrat. And uh, they see him. Was he really home. treasonous? The other thing. The other thing was that was probably thrown in. There was some treason because there was always okay. treason that was always <laughs> happening. They always had yes. to okay. cut off some aristocrat's head because he was fomenting a rebellion. It was always happening in England. In fact, that only ended with the Tudors, who that's how they got into power. They fomented right. a rebellion. Oh, nice. uh, so Macbeth's coming home with his friend Banquo and these witches make a predicting that he's going to be the new Thane of Cawdor and that one day he's going to be king. And uh, they tell his friend Banquo that Banquo's sons will be king. Ban the issue of Banquo will be king. But Macbeth himself will be king and Banquo won't be. And this is the kind of singular moment in the play that gets ignored in modern times because we think of these witches as a quaint anachronism from the old days. Yes, I was wondering about that. Was this like normal back then? Eh, but it was, and it, this is another little side plot of the play, is that King James himself was obsessed with witches and wrote a book called Demonology. Really? Yeah. And so the play was meant to welcome James to the throne. It was actually played for James in his first year on the throne. And it's known as the Scottish play. And this is really the beginning of Great Britain when they, when they formed an alliance, finally formed oh, an alliance Great with Scotland because they'd yeah. been at war for mm -hmm. hundreds of years. Otherwise, it was just England. It was just England. So they didn't become Great Britain officially, but they were. Now they had joined with Scotland. And James was obsessed with witches and kind of scared of them, but he also made some new laws. He also made it like, be fair, don't kill them, but it's wrong. He had this whole complicated with witch, complicated uh, relationship to witches, but magic itself had gotten very big. Things like alchemy and even Kabbalah and all kinds of occult energy was festering. Astrology was very important. Um, so that stuff in the play, I was going to ask you if those were devices by, for Shakespeare that really didn't have anything to do with um, that era. Like it's hard for me to understand. It's not common for our era, but maybe it wasn't common for their era and it was just a literary device, but you're saying it kind of made sense to those people. Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. Absolutely.
to all to the regular people or to the the high mukti mucks or both i think to everyone okay but nowadays we just ignore it right but what i've discovered which is really remarkable is that macbeth was known as a good person his wife gives a speech later that he's full of the milk of human kindness that he's known to be honest he had just defended right. the kingdom he was celebrated and the he other was guy celebrated. was the treason guy yeah he was he was a good man he didn't have any children yet i don't they don't that's part of the subplot but yeah he was praised but the minute he meets the witches they hypnotize him is the only way i can figure it and it, and the language of when he meets them is the actual language of modern hypnosis. And I'll tell you, it's a big part. This would be the fifth podcast, uh, Macbeth Part Two. So the, they're coming home with Banquo, and the witches address Macbeth as Thane of Cawdor. He's going to be the new Thane of Cawdor, the one that had been treasonous. He's going to be given that title and tell him he will be king one day. Macbeth immediately seems to go into a trance. Banquo says to him, good sir, why do you start and seem to fear things that sound so far of noble, of noble having and royal hope that he seems wrapped with all? To me, you speak not. So his friend says, what happened to you? you it sounds like he's hypnotized. You've gone into a trance. Yeah. You're wrapped. The definition of wrapped yes. is lifted up and carried away from the Latin verb to seize. Macbeth like has been seized by the witch's words and a word he's been hypnotized. And this is the key right here. Macbeth right. then asked the witches, say from whence you owe this strange intelligence. Yeah. Intelligence oh, is, intelligencers were spies. Right. That was the word for spy. They didn't actually use the word spy. They used the word intelligencers. So in effect, these witches are intelligencers. They're part of the realm of espionage, as I see it. But he literally calls them intelligencers. And meaning, how do you have this intelligence? Meaning, how do you know I will be king? So he outs them as symbolic intelligencers. And then... Banquel says again, why are you, what happened to you? Why are you like in this trance state? And Macbeth then says, this is astonishing because Macbeth says, why do I yield to that suggestion? Why? Wow. Is, and, and so many words. Then he says, why is my mind filled with murder? Why is my heart knocking against my ribs? What am I thinking wow. of murder suddenly? And suggestion, why do I yield to that suggestion? Right. Suggestion is the clinical term to this day for what happens in hypnosis. Right. You become subject yeah, to suggestible. suggestion. You're suggestible. Yeah, you're suggestible. Wow. And that's what hypnotists do is they suggest things to your unconscious. And the unconscious is actually what rules us. And they actually want us to think that hypnotism isn't a real thing. Right, I know. You know, it's I mean, they, they, they say that. Like, there was a Penn and Teller bullshit, which is yeah. bullshit. 
and they were like, oh, hypnosis doesn't really happen. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it happens. Oh, it absolutely happens. And it happens all the time. And it's, I think it's kind of the key to human consciousness. I think it's our ground state. They can't actually define what a hypnotic trance is because it's just an extension of something we're kind of all already in. Like, well, they can't define consciousness, really. You right? can't define consciousness either. But any sort of strong belief system you have is going to be a form of hypnosis. And that's how culture is created. Like, why I like something. You know, you've sort of been hypnotized to like it. You've, you've, you've grown up with it, but you've also been Well, isn't told. it? It's like um, when, like, a duck is born, they get imprinted upon. Exactly. It's like imprinting. And um, they say that about the music from your adolescence. Yeah. Like I have an affinity, Robert. Yeah. For 80s music. Yeah. Right. Nothing could possibly explain that other than some psychological twist of fate. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Hypnosis is totally 100% real. I can't believe Penn said that. Yes. yes, And I've read about 10 books on hypnosis. Yeah, it's no, it's tr- definitely real. And it's they true that some people up. are more suggestible. Some people are more prone to being hypnotized. Just yeah. watch that stuff, stage hypnosis on YouTube. Yeah, Those guys can tell who's prone. They say, I, my oldest son has Down syndrome, and they say people with Down syndrome cannot be hypnotized. Right. Because they can't, I don't know if they can't engage. If I always think of it as like an intelligence thing, but it might be a concentration thing, but you cannot. They just don't have the ability to... I, you know that I think that's kind of interesting. Is yeah, it they say schizophrenics can't schizophrenics can't be hypnotized. You have to form a bond with the hypnotist. There has to be a relationship. Hypnosis is about a relationship. I don't know a lot about Down syndrome. Schizophrenics can't really bond. Um, no, but, he can. He can bond. He so can. The, bond. I know Down His syndrome can, can bond, bond. Yeah, but he can't. Um, you might meet him. I'm gonna. I'm that would be great. Bring him to the New York meetup. <laughs> I'm gonna look into that. I'm gonna look into that about the downstairs because I know well, you they can, can try bond. it. Bring a little so coin I... on a rope and see if you can get him to stop eating. I think. <laughs> I think they can. I bet you Down syndrome can be. I'll, I'm gonna look into that. That's very interesting. Yeah. But it turns out anyone can be hypnotized because there's this thing called narco hypnosis, which is when they put you to sleep oh, and you can that be hypnotized. Like what... CIA does. That's exactly what <laughs> CIA does. That's what sodium pentothal is, the truth drug. It puts you into a sleep state and they can access your unconscious while you're asleep. And you, they can give you suggestions while you're asleep and hypnotize you. Now, hypnosis does wear off. That's why they have to constantly reinforce it with constant imprinting of the message again. Because it will wear off. Like we do have a core right. that, you know, they can't really touch. And There's it's true a, that you won't do, you won't go against your moral standards when you're hypnotized, but they can make those moral standards seem like you need to go beyond them. Like if right. someone won't commit murder, but if they think they're being killed. Yes, that's right. Yes. So they just play with that. There's a book by Jim Keith called Mass Control, Mind Control, and yeah. some of his evidence, so some stuff he doesn't have evidence, which he says, and some stuff he does have evidence, but some of the stuff that he has documented are people who said that they were mind control operatives 
when the programming broke, they started having these horrible memories and yeah. would you know be able to find places they were, you yeah. know, and yeah, yeah. Would, otherwise there'd be no excuse for. So it can break. It can break. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I read that book years ago. I think yeah, I have it on really my show. Oh, well, it's like worth 60 bucks. So <laughs> <laughs> some of these books I've dug up, there's a yeah. book by a CIA hypnotist called yeah. Hypnotism by George Estabrooks. I picked yes. it up for a few bucks. It's worth 200 bucks now. Yes. That's a great book if you can get it. It's actually I've, I've online. Heard. There's a Where's link it? on my website. George Estabrooks. Yeah. Hypnotism. That book will blow your mind. I mean, well, you can hypnotism. be hypnotized to think there's a dog in the room. Wow, that's so cool. And okay. you can be hypnotized to not see a dog in the room. Right. It's amazing. That I know. So you think Macbeth was hypnotized? I think that's what's being told to us, that these witches have gotten into him in a way that's very similar, if not the same thing as hypnosis. And I think that's mostly what the occult is, is hypnosis. I think that's how cults are formed. I think occult yeah. and cult you know, work through hypnosis. And I think right. that's... You know, so the witches are, are doing that. You know, they're putting these ideas in your head. I do, you know, we're going to talk about magic later. Uh, it doesn't mean I don't believe in magic per se, but hypnosis is, is kind of like magic. Yeah. Okay. So, so, okay. So he, um, let's just get to the kind of plot of Macbeth. So he, so the guy was, so, um, he took the Thane of Corridor's, place because that guy was treasonous and so he's this incredibly patriotic yeah. very good person who suddenly is filled with the idea of murdering the king for no reason i mean you don't get he could be king one day well it could happen that the king dies and his sons die yeah, and okay. you know there could be a, a path to becoming king you wouldn't have to just go kill the king but he suddenly obsessed with killing the king and what's weird is that his wife becomes immediately obsessed with it too only from a letter that she receives we never see him write the letter we don't see it delivered somehow the letter beats him home even though we see he's i'm on my way home i'm going home and the king who congratulates him and makes him thane of cawdor says we're all coming over tonight we're all going to celebrate at your castle, Macbeth. And so he writes a letter to his wife and his wife, and this is really the takeaway from the play, is the crazy wife. Macbeth is Yeah, I always really, thought she was like the Eve. Yeah, she's... You know, the Eve character. Yeah. She was getting him to do bad stuff. It's named Macbeth, but everybody remembers it's Lady, Lady Macbeth. Macbeth. Yes, the crazy woman, Lady the crazy Macbeth. wife. She takes the brunt of the blame. Yeah, so did Eve. Yeah, so did Eve. Oh, it's it's, it's kind of like that. It's kind of yeah. like that. And I'm sure there are Gnostic religious reasons for this. But she's obsessed with becoming queen. And that very night, they kill the king. And it's very well done. And Macbeth sees a knife. I just said that you can be hypnotized to see a dog that's not there. Well, Macbeth sees a knife that's not there. It's it's a big part of the play. It just materializes before him and sort of leads him to the king's chambers. 
Now, before all this, Macbeth starts to have second thoughts, right? The hypnosis is wearing off. He's like, what am I doing? Yeah, right. I'm paraphrasing the poetry. <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing? I, Although I did see the Connor. John Tortoro one, and that could have been. <laughs> did you see there's a John Tortoro Macbeth? Uh, there's a new Joel Cohn. I know. I haven't seen that. I, I found it unwatchable. Oh, Plus, no, you had such high hopes. I'm sick of the play. Well, I saw what it's doing. It was released on Christmas Day. I think this is an evil play, Frank. Yeah, 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 right. And they put it out on Christmas Day. I mean, what's yeah, that, that is about? Rude. That's just rude. I mean, this play is really deeply nihilistic. The, 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 what we're going to get to about this play is that there really is no good character. There seems to be, but we're going to talk about that. Okay. Keep and there's a secret hero to the play. That becomes obvious once I tell you who that hero is. It's obvious, but the actual play, the the get the the takeaway is that Lady Macbeth is the real problem, and the guy who finally kills Macbeth is the hero. This guy named Macduff. So you're kind of left with like, oh, this plays a classic yeah. good versus evil, and that Macbeth becomes, you know, greedy for power and the lust for power, and Lady Macbeth is this shrewish wife who just encourages this you know, power madness, and they, they way overstep their bounds and suffer greatly for it. But it's not, it's not the good that replaces them. That's the funny thing. That's not so funny, but it's the hidden, hiding in plain sight theme to this play that's, that's right there in the text. I mean, some people might think I'm pushing it to say that the witches are intelligencers, even though he calls them that. Um, but let's see, where do we go from here? So he kills the king and the king's sons immediately like run away the next morning. I know. That was weird. So they're not very heroic. No. They're like, let's get out of here. Yeah. There's two of them. Yeah. Yeah. You would, you would say like, let's get to the bottom of this. Who did this? Right. We get our immediate revenge. But instead, the, his two sons, King Duncan's sons just skeedaddle that would that's really inexplicable yeah unless it's real an allegory for or whatever maybe it's really happened maybe that's what their story was maybe they were pants no no it didn't happen in real life and it's uh it's a plot device okay and it's a way to set up who the true hero of the play is which i'll reveal in a minute Okay. And then there's I'm all gonna this have to put a spoiler alert at the beginning of this, just in case anyone hasn't read this this play. From well, nobody sees this 500 years ago. Yeah, okay. No, okay. Nobody sees who the true hero is. It's a little bit like uh, yeah. a, a famous movie where there is a hero. It seems like it's kind of a nihilistic movie, but let's not get sidetracked. So the um, the sons disappear, and there's a ton of Masonic symbolism in these scenes. There's these three knocks on the door. Did these kind of Masonic tells, and it's all in uh, episode four of the podcast where we go into the Masonic allegories in Macbeth, which it turns out, written by Freemasons, just permeate so much of Shakespeare. There's just tons of Freemasonry. And Freemasonry wasn't actually a thing yet. Freemasonry wasn't uh, announced to the world until 1717 and this play was written in 16 mm. uh, 1604 we know that the freemasons existed before they were announced because they they were fully formed when they were announced they were a true secret society before 1717 then they were 
a society with secrets. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> but there's tons of masonry and Masonic symbolism as written by other Freemasons in Macbeth and The Tempest and a bunch mm -hmm. of other plays. So he kills the king. And because the sons run away, he becomes king, which also makes no sense. And there's no, <laughs> there's no jostling. It's just the next thing yeah, you know, Macbeth right. is king. Right. So plot device. That's why it's not, a lot of Shakespeare plays are not very good on plot. I mean, it's just crazy. There's just these massive holes. And that's one. Hmm. The sons run away. Macbeth becomes king. Nobody does any sort of investigation because he kills the guards. He makes it look like, actually, Lady Macbeth does this. She oh, yeah. goes up and, uh, that. Yeah. and uh, kills the guards and sprinkles blood on them and makes it look like the guards killed the king. And then Macbeth. Because they were drunk. Because they were drunk with wine <laughs> she gave. And then Macbeth kills them in the morning. And some people say there's some hints of suspicion there. Like, why did Macbeth so quickly kill them? Yeah, well, there were certainly, it was addressed, unlike the other stuff. It was addressed. A little bit. A little Where bit briefly. Like, well, what was I supposed to do? And then other people were like, yeah, it was the right thing to do, for sure. <laughs> right. I had you know, to we, do it. Why well, get my, to the bottom of it? <laughs> it was my duty. Yeah, why investigate? Let's let's just Jack Ruby them and Lee Harvey exactly. Oswald them. So you see the, anyway, we'll get to that later. Um, so then he is king. And he starts to feel guilty. He immediately starts to feel guilty, like the programming is wearing off. And even Lady Macbeth starts to feel guilty, which is a tell that they're not really cold, stone-blooded murderers, that they've been manipulated yeah. into doing something they're not really doing. Because cold, stone-blooded murderers never confess, never feel guilty. It doesn't happen. And their minds, you know... They go to the grave with their secret or they get discovered. I mean, they just don't, they don't have guilt. That's why they're serial killers. Right, whereas and in this case, these, their minds are getting the better of them. Yeah. Their, their morals and they both start losing it, but it takes a while for them to lose it. And that's kind of the creepy horror movie aspect of this plot because Macbeth has to then kill his friend Banquo because Banquo's kids are going to be king. So it takes on this kind of mythic, you know, we have to kill all the kids that are going to be king, you know, which is yes. Jesus and Moses yeah, and say, yeah, Zeus. And mm -hmm. Takes on this old mythic element. So Macbeth has to kill Banquo, but he doesn't kill his son. He misses, I know, that makes no sense either. He hires people, but it sort of sets up the whole Jesus mythic thing. But they're always putting this religious symbolism, like the Virgin Queen. Who does that remind you of? Mm -hmm. you know? It's always there. Lord. Uh, Lord Bacon. And so this is kind of the creepy horror movie stuff. And Macbeth becomes a serial killer. He then kills for no reason this other aristocrat's family. And this guy's name is Macduff. Macduff oh, yeah. is the putative hero of the play because he eventually right. kills Macbeth. Right, because Macbeth comes back into town and someone's like, oh, everybody's dead in your family. And he's just like, okay. <laughs> but yeah, so Macbeth sends people to kill Macduff's wife and son. And this is Why? just brutal, graphic, um, trauma-based entertainment. I mean, they kill a little boy on stage. It doesn't happen off stage. This little boy gets run through with a sword on stage. 
And then he goes, Mommy, I've been stabbed. Oh. And it's just brutal. Right before that, there's a loving scene of Mommy talking to <sighs> son. Okay. Roman Polanski puts it in a bath, you know, Ooh. makes the boy naked because yeah, it's course. Roman Polanski. <laughs> Roman <course>. Polanski. <laughs> it's a great version of this, but it's so creepy. It really yes. creeped me out. Yes. So why does he get into Macduff's family's house? Because Macduff has run away. Macduff has abandoned his family to go catch the king's son and bring the king's son back to Scotland. But he leaves his family without so much as a goodbye. And that's what the mother and son are talking about. Like, where's your father, son? And they have this chat and then they get killed. So Macduff is no hero. He abandoned his family. Right. But he's the putative hero because eventually he does come back to Scotland. Too little, with, too late. Too little, too late. And there's these really cool plot devices about the forest moving. Yes, yes. And no man or woman nice will kill Macbeth. Yes. Which is kind of a clever little plot device, which is meaningless. <clears throat> Ultimately. But eventually, Macduff comes back and confronts Macbeth and kills Macbeth, and then supposedly all is right in the kingdom, which had fallen on rack and ruin. Like everything was upside down in Scotland. You know, the, the birds were dying in the fields. Wow. Were, yeah, it was like this inversion. Everything became yes. inverted. Horses were eating each other, which I go through in detail in the fifth episode, this Gnostic inversion. Just there's so much uh, symbolism okay. of inversion in the play. But here's the kicker is that it's very nihilistic because they put this king back on the throne who's a coward. There's a whole other scene of Malcolm claiming, I'll be a terrible king. I just want to screw every woman in the kingdom. <laughs> and Macduff says, no problem, lad. When you're king, the lassies love you. Come on. <laughs> He's like, doesn't care. Macduff doesn't care right. that the son of the king is a lech. Yeah. Just come on back. We're going to make you king and... It's just and then every... I think the kid says, oh, yeah, you're right. I'm awesome. And then the kid says, I was just joking. Yeah. I'm, I'm a virgin still. Let's go. But right. still, he, McDuff was ready to accept this total yeah. Hunter Biden type as, yes. you know, the next king. And away. McDuff had abandoned his family. And they're sort of like the putative heroes because they kill Macbeth. But the real hero of mm -hmm. the play in that conversation about being a lech they bring up the King of England. It was King, uh, uh, King Edward, King Edward the first, Edward the confessor, who is hinted at as being a healing King that he can heal his subjects. And the English army accompanies Macduff into Scotland. And so Macduff kills Macbeth because he has the English army behind right. him who and restores the, order who really saves the day is the english army they're the <laughs> true heroes so these intelligencers create a civil war create mayhem and the english army is invited in to restore order and thus the empire grows so it's kind of a playbook for expanding empire but, and that's what was happening, right? That's what was happening with James. In a way, or, yes. In a way, yes. But I see it as 
a way that they knew they could begin to expand England. They were, you know, they're working on that in Ireland. They're already kind of doing these crazy machinations for really for like at least by then 150, 200 years, like brutal, brutal things to the Irish. And also trying to convince them and bring them in line. And eventually they did. I mean, the Irish went and bought wars for the English. And look at them now. Yeah. I mean, they just Yikes. rolled over for, for this COVID shit. I mean, it's really weird. I'm really sad about that. And eventually there's a book called England's Greatest Spy about Eamon de Valera, the prime minister of Ireland, who it turns out, according to this book, and the evidence is really strong, was actually spying for England the whole time. And that he had been arrested in the Easter uprising, thrown in jail, not killed. They let him out. Yeah, 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 And he yeah. proceeded to make tough speeches, but never get anything done. Boy, and there's decades. evidence of that. But if you suggest that anything like that happens today, you're a complete treasonous nut job. Well, you would be then too. I know, but they get yeah, away but with it. I mean, it. They, they proved it that it happens in the past. What, yeah, you know, I mean, that book doesn't seals not happen it. anymore. It looks like Eamon de Valera actually killed Michael Collins, who is the true oh, yeah. rebel hero of Ireland. Yes, Michael Collins. I know a person whose son is named Michael Collins. And even as a little child, he was detained at airports because they felt that anybody who had that name, it could be a flag. Wow. And crazy? then they made. Michael Collins, the name of the third astronaut that didn't go to the moon, I think to attract uh, the rebel type, attract the Irish because the Irish kind of know this. They're, they're really fans of Michael Collins, but it looks like the English could put their own person in to become prime minister. Who's just a total fake or as they call yeah. them now, lifetime actors. Absolutely. It sounds like bacon was tapped as a, you know, a youth as a created person, but he would have exactly. created himself anyway. So let's now, um, I was going to break it into like XR or whatever, but I feel like sure. we should just share everything. Now let's just make it a, a, a 90 minute episode okay. and we'll cover everything for everybody because okay. I think the most interesting stuff is how is the things about um, the inversions, okay. the occult, the magic, the dreams I found to be very interesting. And I wondered if their perception was, and I was touching on this earlier, is their perception that those things are more important than our perception is, or was Bacon inventing it? Was he, was Bacon telling them that it was important? Like how, how do those, how do those devices work? Do they reflect, reflect reality? Um, and what was he using them for? Well, that's a that's a good question. Um, there weren't really dreams. There were visions. Like Macbeth would see the knife. Um, and he would Didn't see he ghosts. He, he woke up and he had had this dream well, of something happening to him. Maybe, maybe so, a dream. The thing is Mostly it was visions. He couldn't sleep. Right. Okay. Macbeth could not sleep. That's okay. the thing. Macbeth has murdered sleep. And Macbeth, Mac Lady Macbeth was sleepwalking. Lady Macbeth also couldn't really sleep and was deeply troubled. It's it's another odd thing. Like she's she goes from cold blooded killer, you know, to guilt ridden, you know, person right. like instantly. Just both instantly. Instantly she wants to kill the king and then almost instantly takes a few days. She's you don't Can't think sleep. that was just a plot failure? You feel like it hints at um, not being responsible? 
I think that was what it hints at to me. Like she wasn't really a cold blooded killer that she was manipulated into it doing something. It makes no sense. And it makes and no then sense. They, then their own consciences are their undoing. Yeah. They, it doesn't make sense, but you don't notice because we, that's how we feel like we would be. That's why we don't commit murder because we have a, so we can identify with them. Because otherwise, who would identify with this? Well, maybe they guy. just don't want, they want to, it's an object lesson against regicide. It's that too. Absolutely. Don't try this at home. <laughs> this is what's going to happen to you. But hmm. there, you know, you, yeah, you, you want to be able to identify with them. So it kind of makes them identifiable, like they're struggling with their conscience, I think. But it does, it does make no sense. But then Macbeth flips after his wife jumps off the ledge or falls off the balcony, he flips, and he doesn't care. That's part of the inversion. He doesn't care that his wife just killed herself. Everything's inverted. Right. And he loved his wife. They're Friends very passionate. And, and then yeah, right, he, right. that's dead. Like everything gets inverted. And uh, Macbeth then is like determined. He's, he's ready to face anyone and fight anyone. He becomes he becomes like his true like warrior self, even though he's kind of turned into a serial killer. He flips <laughs> he flips around, and still like you know this is a, this is a, the Polanski version of the film has a great fight scene at the very end. But yeah, none of it none of the plot makes sense, and nobody ever says he's kind of begging for help, Macbeth. And there's no priest, there's no hint of religion. Only the English king is hinted as being saintly, but nobody suggests a priest. Macbeth says, ah, I can't sleep. You know, I'm, I'm troubled. I'm troubled. And the doctor goes, eh, nothing I can do for you, lad. Was Scotland Catholic? Back Scotland was back Catholic. Then? It was a thousand the real years Mac ago. Yeah, the real Macbeth, who it's based on, was a devout Catholic. And after he did kill a King Duncan, but he did it fair and square. He didn't murder him in his sleep at night. Right. Okay. They went hand to hand. All right. The real King Macbeth won. He was a really good king for 10 years and, in fact, went to Rome and spent a lot of money and spread money around. He was hmm. a devout Catholic. Hmm. There's no mention of any religion, no right. priest, no that nuns. That doesn't really make sense at all. That because back then, like, that no, was an institution. Of course. Of there would have been parallel priests. He would have been begging a priest for forgiveness. Yeah. There would have been Yeah, priests. right. Nobody right. notices. that. What explains that? How do you explain that? It's just because it's nihilism. It's pure nihilism. This play. There's, making, right? there's no goodness except the English king and the English army. That's the only thing that's good in this play. Everybody else is in it for themselves, greedy or inverted. Mm -hmm. There's, it's, it's, I think it's the very first real nihilism in literature. And that famous, uh, very famous quote, which goes, uh, tomorrow and tomorrow, yes, tomorrow I love that one. creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Now that's brutal. 
That and, didn't exist in literature before this play. And it totally negates the spiritual realm, life after death, which they would have thought. And that uh, yeah. was on Bacon's agenda. And I'll tell you what's yeah. weird, though, is that yeah. Bacon, okay, so he wanted to get rid of religion and replace it with science. But it's almost as if this isn't just an object lesson against regicide, but against the um, switch, uh, you know, removing religion, because look at the terrible consequences, the terrible consequences for the society, for the kingdom and for the individuals. Right. But so, nobody notices. So he, it's not like he thought it was going to be a good thing to eliminate the religious element. And he was doing it anyway. He was in the process of well, doing it. And it's, it's not like he wanted to eliminate religion, but it was to replace it with his own religion, which is which believes that very thing. That life is meaningless. Life is a shadow. Life is created by a Gnostic demiurge called the Aldebaoth. And that our job is to reject this world in no uncertain terms. So so this is a comedy and not a tragedy in his inverted world? It's a world? tragedy or a comedy, but it's mostly just meaningless. Uh, but I mean, like, what does he... A walking shadow. It's meaningless. You know, why? So it looks to me like it's a demonstration of of the natural consequences of Bacon's ideology. Right. It's all so, shot But it's there. so bad. It's like, so how can, bad. It's so bad. But and it's good for the king. It's good for the king. So the king would represent the only people that have soul, which are the Gnostics, which have Gnosis, which have knowledge, and they are the elite. And it's for them to rule because they have special knowledge. That kind of reminds me of the whole story, maybe believe it or not, but about the French Revolution and the yes. Illuminati, where they were yes. going to take out the monarchs and exactly. slide in the Masons. And, you know, it's better. It exactly. was just better. We'll tell you what's what's what. You know, we're right. going to change the names of the week. We're going to tell you what to plant. You're an idiot. You're just like a cockroach. They really don't think until you have gnosis that you're anything at all. You're 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 not really fully well, human. Well, how does the Kabbalah fit in with that? Well, that's very interesting. That's very interesting because Kabbalah, I've been doing a deep dive. Kabbalah is basically Gnostic. Kabbalah believes the same thing that the the god of this world the real God has vanished. They're so remote, you can't get to it. And that this world is a, a slideshow. And that parts of our soul have been imprisoned in the world. And by using Kabbalah, we can liberate our souls. But some people, like the Hasidic Jews, don't use it in a Gnostic way. They, you can use Kabbalah to get deeper into the Bible. But it has nothing to do with the Bible. It's not Jewish at all. It's purely Gnostic. It's been proven. And there was a Christian Kabbalah that came out of Spain, really, at the same time that the Jewish In the 1200s? Yeah. A guy named Raymond Lull. I remember hearing that. And then it also yeah. infiltrated the Vatican at that time. It did. And part of it was good because the Catholic Church had such a hold on us. That's The, the, the real irony here is that a lot of these Masonic, Hermetic, Gnostic ideas... But not so much the Gnostics, but the uh, the Kabbalistic ideas kind of kickstarted the Renaissance because they they made you believe that there was potential for the human to become 
greater, that you weren't but, just here to not sin and hopefully get grace and redemption and just sort of struggle through this life, but that, you know, humans had a lot of potential. That's like the 60s counterculture. They yeah. take something that there are problems with. So yeah. there were issues with the society, of course. Then they yeah. promise you self-actualization if you throw right. off the right. mantle of the past, but they didn't actually replace it with anything. Exactly. So they threw off the structure that had That's, some complications and they didn't replace it with anything. Right. They will replace it with communism or fascism yeah, with or whatever. Nihilism, nihilism. You know, with this empty nothing. And then you get actual paradoxically extreme materialistic consumerism. So like if exactly. you see the, right. what Mao did to China, it, it capitalism couldn't have worked better at making people, I mean, it's doing a pretty good job, but it's quite- I totally agree with you. That's exactly yeah. it. Interesting. Yeah. So, so when they talk about astrology and the occult and witches and all that, did Bacon think there was actual power he could summons that well, way? Or I think so. I think so. There's a there's a famous book, very scholarly book called Francis Bacon from magic to science. It's, oh, it's a really nice. good book. Carlo Rossi, one of these scholars that's just read everything. And he goes step by step through Bacon's life. And he makes a strong case that Bacon never really did abandon magic. Right. And he didn't because he created the Freemasons. And the Freemasons are, they're like a cult light but they're deeply based on occult beliefs and the occult beliefs are all based on magic. And Gnosticism was all about magic and working magic in order to gain power. And that's where all these rituals come from, why they do these rituals, because they can gather these sparks of light from the true God beyond Yahweh, beyond Jah. There are these sparks. And if you do these magic rituals just so, you can gain those sparks and you can gain spiritual power that will help you transcend this world of, as Bacon calls it over and over, confused matter at this realm. And it's, it's kind of related to Buddhism. Uh, it's kind of related to Christianity. You know, like I'm just passing through. I'm not of this world. Well, the gods of like Hindu, the Hindus, there is it Hindu? There's yeah. Somewhere? It's Hindu. like not like good you know, there they're not some, like just plain good. Like they have gods that aren't just good. Yeah. Like, well, that seems, that's, that's scary. <laughs> I think that's what created this whole Gnosticism is that Christianity became just good. Jesus was right. just good. He, he got angry once. And they split off the evil. Whereas, you know, Zeus is like going around raping everything. Yes, yes, yes. The Hindu religion has... Uh, Kali goddess. Look at Kali sometimes. She's wearing a severed head, you know. She's got holding a bloody head. Just another Hindu god. The uh, Yahweh does some very nasty things, right? He tells them to take Jericho, uh, the Passover. He kills the firstborn of all the Egyptians. He can be a son of a bitch. Well, even the story of Lucifer, his brightest angel had a hubris like it he had he got kicked uh, out of heaven yeah for being for having an ego that was downright um 
you know, damaging, destructive and see, that's negative. The, and how does that come out of God? How does God create something that has the capacity for evil? It's, it's just simply free will. Like it's, that's a paradox for me. If you could explain it, if you've ever thought about well, it, I know it's not course. in your, in your called, wheelhouse. But it's what's called the, the problem uh, of evil. And that's, Oh, C.S. Lewis. Like? It's a theological a conundrum. Yeah. Various philosophers have tried to explain it. Yeah. One way is Gnosticism. They think Gnosticism got created because they're trying to explain evil. How could there be evil in this world? So they explain it by saying the real God is not the God, Yahweh. The real God is way past that and kind of let this whole thing happen. You know, on this, it happened on the slide from this other God who's just a demiurge. And that's why the world is evil. And that's why overcoming this world is good because we're good and the world is evil. So we need to take control of the world. We need to be masters of the universe. Bacon even says to become master. Let me read you this quote. This is Francis Bacon from his work on science called Nova Morganum, New Method. And I got this from the Carlo Rossi book, but it's in his work. Further, it will not be amiss to distinguish three kinds and grades of ambition in mankind. The first is of those who desire to extend their own power in their native country, which kind is vulgar and degenerate. That would be like Macbeth. They want to take over their country. The second is of those who labor to extend the power of their country and its dominion among men. This certainly has more dignity though not less covetousness. That would be like the English empire. Third, but if a man endeavors to establish and extend the power and dominion of the human race itself over the universe, his ambition, if ambition it can be called, is without doubt a both more wholesome thing and a more noble than the other two. Well, to say over the universe, it's insane. It, it implies this whole, it kind of points in the direction of when you hear some people say like, we've never actually, I don't think that we landed on the moon. I don't believe the moon landing story. No. Some people think that we human beings cannot escape. Right. Earth. Like it's like from a, from a metaphysical, you know, like a, a cosmic sense that we are earthbound for sure. And it sounds like he's already aspiring to that. Like he already sees that as the challenge. Well, it's just that he wants to take over the universe. So on one hand, humans are shit. But on the other hand, we have the potential to take over the universe from God. They, they, they believe that that's their mission. Well, it's very hierarchical, like his thinking, isn't it? Totally, very hierarchical. Totally. So like if you have 33 degrees of people and those are above like most of the actual people. Oh, yeah. You know, so he could, I mean, I think that that like profound elitism is at the heart of a lot of Absolutely. these paradoxes. It's like, and that, and and they can never admit that because they need our buy-in. That was like the beauty of democracy was to somehow convince us that the things that we were advocating right. were for their glory and hurt us but you know and then they take over the education everything like that but like there's an elitism there that they simply have to weaponize yes. and can't really be honest about they can't anymore back then they could the divine right of right. kings right they still call each other lord in england i mean yeah it, they they had to give it up they had to pretend. well but that what you say is true though because i was thinking that i always was just never I, I always found it offensive because i come from a super poor 
background and yeah. i feel like it was just a, a accident of birth that i'm not a princess i should be a princess why <laughs> why is she a princess like yeah. you know i want to be a princess so um and then uh when it was really this transition between the obama era and the trump era when i was yeah. on the radio and the yeah. people who i totally agreed with in every way about obama and bill of rights and right and wrong and everything when trump would do violations like that and i would explain it and they would not They'd be like, "You're why are you such a bitch?" You know, I'm like, <laughs> "Wait, no, wait, wait. Are you saying that you really can't tell that he's doing the same or just doing things that you would have objected to if he was wearing a different color shirt? Like, really?" <laughs> and then I started thinking, "Gosh, like maybe that this is you know maybe like my appeal to the people isn't really going to work because they're not they're only capable of it when." Um, you know, under the circumstances that don't threaten them and they're manipulable and all this. And I mean, I think that's a really a function of what it, they do it on purpose, but it made me think back to when I read old stuff like that, even like Russian literature or whatever, you know, it's very clear. It's like the peasants are stupid. <laughs> you know, that's right. just what they say. Peasants are stupid. Yeah. And I think like Lord Kitchener, Kirch Kirchner, whatever, Kirchner what, yeah. during World War One was like, I don't care what happens to the soldiers. Throw their yeah. cannon fodder. I don't care yeah. about the little people. Yeah. And uh, and I just, I mean, it is still true that it's an accident of birth, but there may be something to the fact that high culture isn't, you know, isn't scalable. But that's not true because they spend so much time and effort on the propaganda to make sure that we lose our virtue that uh yeah i think that um i do believe that that it's more intentional at this point that the hierarchy is just desperate to keep itself in place and it needs to you know it's artificial because they don't have the kind of advantages they had then they we can we can i can wear fancy clothes they have to stay hidden they have to they have the level of deception has to be even greater even though they've got billions of dollars and the contracts and corner offices. They have to make it look like, you know, it's all, it's all on merit. You could get this too. It's available and, and to you. And what do you think is at the heart of it? Do you think the magic, the occult, um, the, the desire to break out and control the universe, is that still what drives I do. the people at the top? Oh, absolutely. I think, I mean, they, they literally say it like, the goals of Rosicrucianism, which Bacon started, were life extension, conquer death, literally conquer death in old age. They threw in like end poverty. The transhumanists today are just like, they don't want to die. They, they think they can become machines and they think of life as a machine and they want to become their own machine and live forever and never get sick and never die. And that's, that's their goal. But they, they can't. They, they come out and say everyone. it. And yeah, now they're they, trying to do it to us. And they want to put chips in us and, and turn us into this part of their machine because they can control it. They want to be God. They want to have be able to create people without having a woman. You know, a man not of woman born. They're literally doing that. They're creating, you know, artificial wombs. And Why? They would, and they we're have overpopulated. Why are you always, doing that? Yeah, they've always wanted to um, get women out. Yeah. But to, to make less people. And I think that's what the COVID thing is mostly about. Yeah. But why do they need artificial wombs? And there's too many people. Like there's right. all these logical contradictions in everything they do. 
and you know that's you can pick them out but that's one like why are they are actually they... making artificial wombs yes yeah why picture there's like three billion wombs just and, free mostly. and all these <laughs> all these like devices to like extend our life and save lives and it's really critical that you take this fifty thousand dollar medication to get six extra months of life Right, but, but they're then, also telling us we're overpopulated, and, and they're giving the, the vaccine to everybody. It's kind of, yeah. I mean, not all of that can be explained by uh, money grabbing. See, that's the thing; like that can be explained, like getting nuclear seeds in your liver for a hundred thousand dollars of treatment, or yeah. like taking one life so that you can transplant an organ into another life. That's about transferring money. Yeah, all yeah. of that is about money. But I, I feel like sometimes I wonder if the occult thing is a red herring that they're actually throwing that at us so that we don't realize that it really is just about money and greed and sex and power. It's um, about power and the mm -hmm. occult is to gain power. Like a cult leader, they want power over you. Like who really wants that? Like my father knew how to do hypnosis. He was a physician and he was trained. And when I got interested in hypnosis, I asked him about it. He says, yeah, we were trained to do it. And he goes, I didn't like it. Right. I didn't like having that power over someone. I didn't like taking that control over someone, but they love it. You know, there's something sick in them that they want this power. They can't leave us alone. They don't like yeah. seeing us happy. There's too many happy people on the planet. And, you know, they want, they don't control that. We, they, they just want control. And I think that isn't a cult, you know, kind of satanic gnostic thing that they they yes i believe it comes from a hatred of god that they really do yeah. if you look into gnosticism they think god is evil that's well, what they hate all the gifts from god i always think of reason um the ability to discern good from evil and free will are like the three gifts from god i always think yeah. of that and they absolutely attack all of those things. All of those things are in constant attack. But do you think they have a, a mass hypnosis oh, yeah. program? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's what they've always done since the ancient Egyptians. The pharaohs thought of themselves as gods, too. And the ancient mm -hmm. Egyptians thought they were gods. The pharaohs knew they weren't gods. Oh, really? Yeah, come on. I feel I mean, like if you're sleeping with your sister... You yeah. must not really understand how it works. Just don't let them know that we're not really gods. You know, we. Maybe that's why we don't live 800 years anymore. <laughs> but, they, you know, there are all these internal contradictions. Like they hate the earth, but they want to control it. You know, they think that yeah. life is garbage, but they want to live forever. They They think the world is a prison. They literally think that the world is a prison, but they're turning the world into a prison. I mean, that's kind of what the Great Reset is. That's what yes. this social credit system is. The open it's like air prison. An open air prison, but they're supposedly opposed to this God that has a prison. They want to be this God that controls the prison. They're just filled with this. They're insane. They're really insane, but they're functionally insane. And they, they gather knowledge in order to use it for power. And that's what science has become is like to gain knowledge. Knowledge yes. is power. That's what Francis Bacon said. Yes. Why is it knowledge compassion? Why is it knowledge right? uh, freedom? Hey, come on, I just threw it at you in Latin. Come on. <laughs> come on. How many knowledge girls from is... Brooklyn throw Latin at you, Bob? <laughs> power. <laughs> power. But, you know, they're going to fail. Yes. They, 
they can't, their science has limits. They can't get the, the self-driving cars, right? They can't really manipulate DNA. There's always side effects. Things always go wrong. And frankly, I do believe you can't leave this planet. I do believe that. Oh, you that. do? To completely. I think we're bioelectrically connected to the planet. It'd be like yes. taking out oh my gosh, yes. a heart cell and, you know, throwing it across the room and expecting it to live. Yeah. And the moon landing proved it. There's no way we went to the moon. That's as obvious as Shakespeare didn't write Shakespeare. To why me. do you say that? I mean, I, nobody's ever proven to me we went to the moon, but why don't they you can't prove it? But what's the temperature on the moon? Yeah. Like 230 degrees. And they left like pictures and stuff on it in the sun. Yeah. Negative 250 in the, in the shade. Yeah. So right. what they had this magic battery pack and these magic suits that could instantly cool you down from 230 degrees. Well, the moon to, buggy didn't have a radiator. Look at it. <laughs> Look at it. To You're heat like, you up when it's minus 250? Where is that battery pack? Where is that magic suit? It doesn't exist. All we were taught is that there's one-sixth gravity on the moon. We ne they never told us what the temperature was. Because then we would know, like... And they never took pictures of the stars from the Never moon. took pictures <laughs> of the stars. That's a good one. I mean, if you're on a scientific mission, you might want to do the science. And the micrometeorites and the radiation. We are in a cocoon. The ionosphere yeah. is a protective cocoon in this miracle of a planet. That's oh, just it's amazing. A, the magnetosphere. A, it's my favorite thing ever. Yeah. And the planets, Bacon calls it confused matter. It's the least confused thing. It's this intricate, yeah. perfect, yes. symphonic, choreographed, amazing. Yeah. magical, mystery, life-supporting system that yes. lets us fall in love and write symphonies. Yeah. And defies the, the laws of entropy and chaos. And gives us imaginations. Like, it's, a, it's truly a loving God. Yeah. And life is a beautiful, beautiful thing, but there is evil. How do we explain evil? I don't know. That's a whole school of philosophy called the problem. I of did evil. not know that. So yeah. what? So what keeps you, um, you know, positive, engaged, not depressed, forward-looking, and um, well, because life is uh, the ground of being is joy. Just like a baby's happy, a puppy's running, kids run. Look at plants; they're like oh. <laughs> those plants behind you i mean life is joy so if you get out of your way you're not going to be depressed but if you're stuck living with uh two people strung out on meth and you read the newspapers it's easy to get depressed that's true Screen. eating shitty food taking vaccine yeah. you know they kind of yes yeah i hate to be one of these freaks but you know they kind of want you depressed maybe. yes definitely oh my gosh for sure like that's so, what i think they use science for is to do the psychological experiments to understand how better to harness that mass control that um psychological control mass hypnosis uh the physical everything and that is what the fourth industrial revolution right. that's following the race reset is it's about the merging of biology and technology right and that is that is probably was Bacon's ultimate goal of science. Sounds I think like. so. Knowledge is power. He wanted the power and he wanted the yeah. wealth. He knew it would bring the, you know, the Industrial Revolution began in London because of Francis Bacon's push for scientific knowledge and scientific discoveries. And to do that, he created a new way of thinking called inductive reasoning. That's how brilliant the guy is. I mean, he wasn't wow. just Shakespeare, but he, he said, look, if we're going to do science, that's for everyone for the benefit of humanity. 
Bacon didn't care a shit for commoners. That's well known. Either to Shakespeare. All the commoners in Shakespeare are clowns. Buffoons. And Shakespeare was such a commoner. Supposedly. But they're all clowns and buffoons. There are yeah. almost are none. And if they That's are right. in there, yeah. they're buffoons. They're named dull. You yeah. know, they do stupid stuff. They anyway, <laughs> he didn't care. But of course, science was for the benefit of all humanity. And uh, he said, Look, we gotta share data. We have to we have to make basically progress in the physical realm, the natural sciences. And sure enough, you know, the Industrial Revolution began in London because of that. They invented those mills. They invented so, those looms. They invented how to make steel implements. Here's one thing I've always wondered, and, and maybe this will be my, the last thing I ask you to think about and give me your opinion on, is that I read that in China, they had, obviously they have the IQ, the culture, the history to they invented gunpowder. They could have really done, they could have been ahead of us in the industrial revolution, potentially maybe. And they did it. They, but what I understand is that the empire, the emperors would suppress the technology so that it wouldn't disturb the hierarchy. And I believe that I'm not, I can't give you a citation right now, but I was convinced of it when I read it. Then I look over at, so why did it happen in the West? And I surmised, but I think you're making me change my mind about this, but I had surmised that the kings versus the church, nobody really had the power. There was like competition. So nobody right. had total control. Not only did they have, um, nobody had total control over that, but that the actual people may have had a conception of individuality and loyalty because there were church and state competing for them, like on the same territory, overlapping on the same territory. And yeah. I thought maybe that uh, fostered thought and growth and technology and science. And then maybe I would take what you're saying if I wanted to shoehorn it into my theory, which I'm ready, ready to reject <laughs> if necessary, but that maybe that, um, that bacon knowing that you really couldn't suppress that stuff weaponized it and said, okay, uh, we're not going to be able to suppress this stuff, but we could use it against the church. We could use it against any competing hierarchy. We could use it to foster the empire if we're really smart think and forward-looking. Yeah. Because I think also John D. Rockefeller was, he was super rich, he was yeah. super smart, and he lived a super long time, and he yeah. had no ethics. And I think yeah. he shaped the next, you know, forever, like, you know, modern times from beyond him. That I think that's why he could do so much. And maybe Bacon was smart enough to take the cards and deal them for England. Oh, definitely. And I think the Chinese might have been like, we don't want to disrupt society because Bacon knew that these inventions were going to disrupt society. And to his credit, he did call for some sort of commission to judge their worthiness, which is what we need. We need a, a people's commission to judge technological advances. We're just like giving them. Who wants yeah. Who wants robot you know, cars? Like nobody, but you know, we're you know going to get them. You know who is a leading um, authority on bioethics? Like she runs like the U.S. Yeah, Gates is uh, Fauci's, <laughs> Fauci's wife. wife. Oh my God. Yeah, but there's so no technology ethics. You know, it's, so I think maybe the Chinese were yeah. wise. They really had this system of the wise ruler. If you read the Tao Te Ching and Confucius, they wanted balance and, you know, the hierarchy of their leaders were part of it. I don't know a whole lot about China, but I think possibly they didn't want to upset the delicate balance of society. Maybe. Yeah. 
But Bacon wanted power, and that's why he invented modern science was for power. And they got it. It worked. Well, as I mean, a uh... the empire is the biggest empire ever. It took over the planet. I mean, they, it's working. Yeah. <coughs> and the Great Reset, I'm 100% convinced, is right out of London. They oh, put it over on the Germans, you know, just like the Rosicrucians. Yeah, Klaus. Who is Klaus working for? He seems like a Nazi. <laughs> but uh, but maybe he's... A, well, they um, say he came out of Harvard and Henry Kissinger, agent. but really, it's the Anglo-American empire. Right. You know, we... We're, we're, we are them. We are the English Empire now, too. Well, but stay strong, stay up. Yes, life is beautiful. Yes, and they are gonna lose. It's well, I love to hear that. We'll have to, we'll pick up on that thread in our next conversation. And I absolutely love your podcast. I always look forward to the next one. It is the hidden life is best podcast.com. Yeah, uh, hidden life is best.com. Francis Bacon and the Gnostic English Empire. You can it's on all the podcast yes. apps. You put in probably put in Francis Bacon Gnostic. Definitely. That's excellent. So you must have grown quickly because I remember I I mean, I was waiting for your first episode to drop because I met uh -huh. you at a meetup and I knew you were doing it. And I just thought the topic was fascinating. And I didn't know it takes, you know, it takes some, you have to get some. Um, momentum before you get on all the platforms and everything. Definitely. But I was, I was months away from getting my podcast going when we met. I oh. was still, we were still just talking about Gnosticism. I want to know about Gnosticism. And... But I knew because you told, I thought it was yeah. uh, Devere who is uh -huh. Shakespeare. And you're like, no, no, no. <laughs> he no. was dead. He was dead by the time uh, oh, okay. the last, oh, there's a lot of reasons why Devere couldn't have done it by himself. Right, fine. We, Probably was there. Helping. Someone I love, Liam Sheff. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. S-C-H-E-F-F. -E -F. He wrote a book called Official Stories. I won't get into it now, but okay. he said it was severe, and I was totally convinced because I felt that Liam Sheff, anything he said would be true. See, that was my fault. Then I met you, and I was like, oh, everything Bob says is going to be true. So, <laughs> well, great anyway, talking to you, Monica. I did my homework for this one. It was super great talking to you. Thank you for all the extra time. And I can't wait till the next time, and hopefully we'll see you at the next New York meetup. Absolutely. And hey, Brad, if you're there, yeah, he's tell got Brad some... I said hello. And I I'll see you soon, sure I hope. Will. Okay, thanks so much. Take care. Bye. <laughs>